Good morning, everyone, and it's an exciting day here on Office Hours. I got a, de- a double bonus. You know how worrying is a double negative? It only does create interference between us and what we want or better, but it actually is wishing for what we don't want. Well, I got a double bonus yesterday when Jim Harbaugh himself decides to leave Michigan, which is one bonus because now Ohio State will continue to dominate Michigan. But even more over, he's come to the Los Angeles Chargers, which means we now are in the running for the Super Bowl. And we have the Super Bowl at my office in 2027, just in time for Mr. Harbaugh to develop the best team in the NFL as well and complete his career. Speaking of completing careers, we have an amazing guest with my co-host, Blaine Bartlett. Blaine, first of all, uh, thank you for sharing this exciting morning with me. Oh, yeah. As you know, anytime, anywhere, any place. <laughs> uh, thank you so much. And thank you for all the help that you've given me. I got to share yesterday at the Rick Macy Tennis Center, one of our friends, uh, and they had Coco there and, you know, the coach of Serena and Venus. And yeah. uh, it was amazing because he also had mentioned some of the great lessons that uh, you have shared over the years uh, as my mentor. And of course, now as a world renowned business coach, but I couldn't think of a better person for us to talk to to start off. Jerry Newman is in the house, Manning Director at New Venture Capital, has written a book, which is a question that I've always looked at as an investor and a founder, is what are the characteristics and capabilities of a founder versus an investor? And Jerry has had so many years of experiences. I'm sure he has made more money and lost more money than most of us have. <laughs> he has written a book, Founder versus Investor, The Honest Truth About Venture Capital from Startup to IPO. Welcome to Office Hours, Jerry. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, you know, I when I read your book, I think of one thing, dummy tax. Because uh, any, <laughs> any, any, anyone that has uh, worked as long as you in, in the VC, the, the EPU field, uh, you know, definitely has invested a lot of money to learn a lot of things. And it's a great, uh, I, I think, gift to the community for just the basics of understanding, you know, get through the, excuse my language, the shit in Shinola. What is really going on when we're talking about having a startup and, you know, trying to create an IPO, which may or may not be beneficial to a startup, but everybody has that big dream when they start their company. Oh, well, it's definitely beneficial to me as the investor, but <laughs> yeah, no, it's, you know, it, it, the book is interesting. I, you talk about a dummy tax and uh, it's interesting to me that so many people who go into the investment field don't really try to learn about other investors or what's happened in the past or, or, you know, to really get the grounding for what they do. Um, and I think it's, you know, I, I, I didn't, when I first started, I worked for a big company, but it was, you know, I was learning on their dime. So when I went out on my own, at least I knew something to start with. And I kind of hope the, the book will help with that. You know, it, it's sort of interesting, though, because I wrote half the book uh, and an entrepreneur wrote the other half. So we go back and forth and I give my point of view and then she gives her point of view on the same topic, uh, which is often the exact opposite. Um, but I, I think this is how you learn, right? You, you have to know both what you need to know, but also what the people you're working with have to know, right? Well, how they think. Yeah. See, and, and I think that's, I can't wait to get my hands on this book, Jerry. Uh, yeah. And David has heard me say this a lot. You know, all any uh, organization is, whether it's a family, whether it's a business, whether it's uh, you know, your neighborhood golf club, it's just a collection of people that are in relationship. That's all it is. Yeah. 
Yeah. And if the relationships are working well, you got a pretty good shot at you know, being successful. And relationships now, yeah, it's interpersonal. Now, I want to talk about that here in a minute, but also relationship with capital, relationship with gold, with vision, relationship, you know, literally with anything that comprises that organization's universe. Oh, totally. And, and you know, the interpersonal is so hard in venture capital. Somebody yeah. shows up at my door and says, hey, you know, will you give me money? Like, you don't know me. You don't really know what I'm doing. Um, you know, you, I do, and I need the money by next week. Yeah, it's uh, so. Yeah, and there's no guarantee. I can promise a oh, lot, yeah. but there's no guarantee. <laughs> but but can I trust that person? I mean, people show up and ask you for money. You don't normally, you know, somebody emails you and asks you asks you for money. You just delete that email, right? Unless mm -hmm. you know them. Uh, but my job is you, to read that you don't email. Just say, hey, you don't just send work? your social security number from Africa. I can help them. <laughs> I was just, that's one of the things I've, I've been paid the dummy tax on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. And, you know, these are the simple truths. And unfortunately, in being a founder and an investor myself for so many years, uh, it's the simple things. Uh, that unfortunately are simple not to do as well. And one of the things that I've learned from being on both sides of the fence and maturing and paying and investing my own taxes uh, and learning the best that I could is that in that relationship of a founder versus an investor is an equation that everyone should look for in life of how to get what I want out of life or out of business or my family or better. And it's uh, the two fastest ways to get to where we want to be, uh, one, help other people get where they want to be. Yeah. And that's where I see the investor. You know, great investors, you know, the, the ones that I'm blessed to be around, like Kwame and Draper and others that have really, you know, done well, their intention is always be, let me help other people get to where they want to be because I've already paid the dummy tax. And then on the other side, where I think, you know, there's a disconnect is that a lot of investors just want your money and what they don't realize is the fastest way to get to where you want to be is not only helping other people get to where they want to be, but finding someone that's already there and asking them for help. Um, yeah. yeah. And in that context, money's the most important thing in a startup. You know, I always tell people say, do what's your best piece of advice? I'm starting, started a company. What's your best piece of advice? I said, stay in business. And they're like, what? Have enough money to stay in business. Don't get ahead of yourself. Just get a guarantee yourself every morning. Okay, I'm going to make sure tomorrow I have enough money to stay in business. Because what I've learned is that some people are fast learners and some people are slow learners. But the ones that stay in business and continually stay in business eventually figure it out and they're successful. Some take 10 days, some take 10 years. But eventually you figure it out if you can stay in business. But the number one problem is they don't because they don't get the right investment. Or they don't get the right investment. How do you help guide as an investor, even someone that you're not interested in investing, how to help them get to where they want to be? Yeah. So, you know, you're right. Right. I, I, I can give a company money, but anybody can give a company money. My money is the same money as any other investor's money. Right. It's all green. It all smells the same. Um, I, you know, why take my money? Well, I think in, I like to invest in people that I believe in, right? So I, I think when you, let's go back a second. There, there are things that investors can do and things that investors can't do, right? So I, I, I ran a startup 20 years ago. Can I help you run your startup? Can I help you operate? 
I kind of remember how that worked from 20 years ago, but that's not my, you know, I can't really help you. Can I introduce you to customers? I can introduce you to two or three, but that's not my job. You need somebody in your company introducing you to customers. Can I help you talk about your problems and figure out what the best way forward is? Yeah, I can do that. And, and who else can do that and wants to do that? I don't think anybody else really wants to help you that way and can help you that way in, in as much as I can, right? So this is, you know, sometimes I think my job is, you know, unlicensed psycho, psychotherapist, right? So <laughs> people call me up at two in the morning. I've got this problem. I can't sleep. What, you know, how, what am I supposed to do? And it's like, okay, let me talk you down. Let's walk through the problem. You tell me what you think you should do and I'll give you my feedback. I'm not running your company. You're running your company. But I'm here to like stand behind you and help you run your company. And I think that's, yes. that, that kind of doing it that way is the, is, has worked for me over the years. Yeah, I, I love that framing on that, Jerry. Uh, you know, kind of like, why would I want to take your money? Yeah, if if I'm an entrepreneur, I mean, because yeah, I've I've worked a lot of folks you know through pitch decks and presentations and all kinds of stuff here. And why would I want to take that person's money, knowing that they're probably going to ask for a seat on the board, knowing that yep. they're going to want to probably get a return much faster than you're probably going to want to turn, <laughs> yeah, yeah, turn the keys over to them. I mean, there's. So there's not just, you know, the, the vetting process on that goes on on both sides. And if oh, an entrepreneur yeah. is in the position of just thinking, all I want is money right now, you're, you're going to be dead in the water. Big mistake. Real quick. Huge mistake. Huge I, you mistake. know, I, I think if you take my money, you know, I'm your partner now. I'm your business partner. You have to work with me for the next 10 years, maybe. Um, and it's so you, you have to know that you can work with me and vice versa. I mean, obviously, that's one of the most important things to me is can I work with this person, not just for the next six months, but for a long time, right? I need okay. to, to be able to trust them, to be able to talk to them, to understand where they're coming from, just to protect my own investment, but also to help them succeed, right? So, you know, you, picking the right person is something I think investors think about more than entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs really think about like, hey, it's a, a great firm. They've got a great reputation. They've got plenty of money. They're offering me a good valuation. But, but who is the person that's going to sit on your board? Yeah. Can you work with them? Absolutely. The most important thing. And last question uh, real quick, Jerry, when writing a book and Blaine and I have been blessed, Blaine wrote a book for me and put my name on it was really, that's a real blessing. Since you <laughs> wrote the book. Um, it, it, it's, it's a good gig if you can get it. Um, but I have found that when I write a book, by the time I'm doing the audio book, uh, it's to me, stomach turning because half the stuff that I said in my book has changed. <laughs> so, I, I, you know, because uh, I know how long it takes, even with AI, to, to get started and get a book out there. And I know Blade does, you know, we're so many books into it now. Uh, I was wondering what, what has changed the most since you wrote the book? If, if you could add one thing into the book uh, now that it's out and uh, ready to go, what, what would be that one thing that has changed? You know, I... I uh... I picked up the book again before this podcast, just be, you know, we published it four months ago. So I just picked it up again and be like, what did I write? Um, <laughs> right. I've been and I there. It open and I immediately was like, wow, can I, can I rewrite this, this page? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I think uh, the, the, the book is interesting because even though my co-author and I, we are both, you know, I've been an entrepreneur, I've been an investor. Um, she's been both as well, but we each take a side. So I take the investor side. And she takes the founder side and, and we try to inhabit that persona just so we can kind of get the point across that when you're on the other side of the table, you really 
think differently about the same problems. And, and this isn't because either is wrong. It's because you have different interests, right? Um, and I think the one thing I would probably, I would probably have been sharper. I think um, some of the feedback from entrepreneurs is uh, they, they don't quite seem to get it when I'm saying, you know, that, yeah. that investors are, they're in it for the money. I mean, in the sense they, they want to help, but in the end, the way that they succeed is by making more money. That's how they're rated. That's, you know, if you look at the Midas list, it's not the people who help the most, it's the people who made the most money, right? So mm-hmm. there's always this, you know, the way that you are, you know, measured is how you, is, is you know, that changes your motivations. And, and I think people need to understand that about investors because in the end, no matter how much they like you and how much you like them, if, if there's an opportunity to say like, look, you know, I'm sorry, but you know, my, my firm demands that I, you know, make the most out of this investment, that that that's always going to be a factor. It's so much of a factor, and a lot of founders uh, in their relations after they've taken capital forget about that as well and wonder why uh, the investor is not satisfied with the hope uh, of success and is only looking at the money because they have a portfolio and they have their own criteria that they want to match and. One of the things that I've uh, looked at and would have changed in our own compassionate capitalism is I would have stressed timing and risk tolerance uh, yeah. in alignment, timing and risk tolerance as being a, a, yeah. a servant leader uh, or a compassionate capitalism. Uh, I would love to go back and talk about how important it is to align timing and risk tolerance in the management and development of an investment uh, or, or in a vision as a leader, as a founder. Um, and I think a lot of people don't spend enough time up front making sure we have that alignment because regardless of whether you make money or lose money, if we go in and meet the timing and risk tolerance that was presented and planned upon, uh, although you might be disappointed if you lose your money and the business doesn't succeed, uh, you won't feel cheated. Um, and you Absolutely. know, which yeah. is primary to that relationship. Founder versus investor. You can go to founder versus investor.com. Look at both perspectives. Jerry Newman has more experience, like I said, than most people. He also teaches at a program that I'm blessed to come in and get to speak at one at a time with Dr. Doug and others there at Columbia University. Just one of the many Ivy League schools that uh, rejected me for undergrad and law school. But now <laughs> I'm, blessed, I'm blessed to share my experience at as well. So thank you, Jay, for including me in the entrepreneurship program there. What a great set of students. And by the way, when I go to Columbia, either virtually or in person, our, and you please testify for this, our bench is deep. These kids, you know, they, they worry about the next generation. I have no worries. Like I, I'm just honest about my generation. If, if we're able to do what we've done, you know, I'm very hopeful for the future because if you saw these kids at Columbia and other schools, our benches are deep. Uh, do you feel the same way? Oh, absolutely. I, I'm pretty sure that I, I went there undergrad. I don't think I could get in there now. <laughs> well, I didn't get in there then and they're not going to let me in now, but fair enough. Thank you so much. I, although uh, Hennessy told me at Stanford, He's a good friend. I said, can you just give me an honorary degree from Stanford? And he told me, Dave, you can't handle the coursework. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I I love that. Jerry, coming back and join us again. I'll see you when I'm in New York. Uh, Thank you so much for everything you do. Yeah, thank you, David. Thank you, Blaine. You bet, Jerry. Take Take care. care. (laughs) Well, you know, I love uh, books of experience and truth and ability and 
you know, that's an area that everybody oversells, backend sells, lies, manipulates, and cheats, and wonder why they're not happy in that transaction uh, when you know we're not telling the truth. And I think understanding the truth through that book is a great place to start. Um, quick question yep. for you is, uh, we're going to bring Jesse on in a couple minutes. Yeah. Uh, so, um, you know, coming back to our book, you know, I talked about alignment of timing and risk tolerance. Uh, I know you go back and check it out every once in a while, Compassionate Capitalism, which is right there on your right shoulder. Uh, what would you change in the book if we did a second edition? I would actually talk more about um, and write more about uh, what it takes to be a leader of a compassionately or uh, compa- compassionately capitalistic company. Because, uh, uh-huh. you know, we touch on that. We, you know, speak to it. I give some examples about it. You know, uh, you know, I, you know Richard Branson and a couple of other folks that I've, you know, kind of looked at in there. But I'd go a, a little bit deeper uh, in terms of what that actually looks like from a practical standpoint. Yeah, I, I would love to see that. And uh, obviously, uh, <clears throat> the people that you're around is a world business consultant with the biggest companies in the world and trying to create those relationships. Uh, one of the other thing, playing that you've taught me that I'd love to put or heavier in is for the sake of what? Yeah. Right? Part of being a compassionate leader, a compassionate capitalist is for the sake of what? And uh, we are blessed to have someone that has a business for the sake of what? And he's the co-founder of Hampton Water. Jesse Bagdovi <laughs> is here to join us, HamptonWaterWyant.com. Hey, Jesse. <laughs> Waving his way in here. Yeah, we're, hey, we're Jesse. Right <laughs> no, no pun intended with the water there, David. <laughs> Waving yeah. my way in. There he goes. He's got to unmute himself real quickly. What, the number one interference between an interview and an interviewee is the mute button. And uh, I, I, I probably <laughs> exactly. do 12, interview, 12 interviews a day, Jesse. Don't feel bad that literally I still forget to unmute myself. And I'm like, yes, I am a professional. Uh, but more importantly, we were talking about being a compassionate capitalist. Anybody in the water and uh, wine business, anyone that has a business today, uh, you know, obviously has to have some sort of social first, social impact in mind. Totally. Uh, Give me what inspires you uh, with Hampton Waters rapid growth. And of course, you have a unique social approach. For sure. Yeah. So uh, great question. And first of all, thank you so much for having me. Um, I don't know if any of you can tell, but I'm actually uh, out on the West Coast. So the sun isn't barely up yet. (laughs) Um, But I guess it really started for me. My parents have always been very involved in giving back. Right. So, uh, you know, when we came up with the concept for this company back in 2016, uh, it wasn't really something that we had thought about as a component for the brand. Um, you know, we, we truly wanted to uh, create a for-profit business because my parents run and operate uh, an organization called the Soul Foundation that helps to, hope, uh, helps to feed those in need and those that are food insecure uh, around the state of New Jersey. And so... Um, they also done a number of things with uh, homelessness and, and doing a number of different things with um, building homes, you know, th- through a, a number of different projects. But as 2020 really, you know, happened and as the pandemic really took hold and numbers of people that we had grown very close working relationships with were suddenly out of jobs because their restaurants had closed or, you know, these family businesses that they had built had now gone out of business. 
we knew that we had to step in and help because people were sitting at home drinking. You know, the, the, the wine business was a good business to be in in 2020. And so um, we started working first with World Central Kitchen. And it really uh, grew this desire in me, you know, David, to your point of if you're doing well, you also have to be doing good. You have a, a responsibility to be doing good. And so uh, the first thing we did was a, a social media live stream where we raised money for World Central Kitchen. Uh, we raised a lot of money in 2020 for World Central Kitchen. And then we realized that, you know, we have this really great platform. And so that has really turned into this initiative that we, you know, internally call the Make a Splash Initiative. And we work with a number of different charities across the country, everything from the It Gets Better Project to uh, a great organization called the the Pink Agenda that does incredible work for breast cancer research. Yeah. Um, we also work with the Roots Fund. We are starting this year to work with a uh, blue water cleanup called Blue Ocean, um, and they mm-hmm. clean plastic out of the oceans. And so, great again, our whole, our whole belief has been that as the company continues to grow, we want to continue to give back and we want to continue to help others that are making differences in their communities. You know, the, the idea of doing good through you know, doing well, I mean, it's a it's a wonderful meme. A lot of people you know, have heard it. You got a, a, a the um, uh, Hampton Water, you know, your rosé. Uh, the growth on that has been spectacular, particularly in the last year. How are you actually channeling what you're doing with that? You know, getting real specific here, Jesse. Yeah, you know, just how how do you how are you doing good with that outside of obviously? Yeah, getting some spectacular marks on you know Wine Spectator and a couple of other, <laughs> yeah, I mean th- that sort of stuff. But how you know wh- how does that actually translate? And this is a question that's based on this compassionate capitalism notion. Sure, everything is connected. It, it doesn't serve if it's just benefiting me. How is it benefiting? Yeah, you know, how are you working with you know your vineyards? I mean, what who whomever it might be. Sure. Well, so uh, again, you know, we've created partnerships with a number of these different charitable organizations, and so. Um, for example, right, the Pink Agenda, we got connected with them through an organization called Speed Rack, which is a uh, entirely female cocktail competition. And then they helped to also raise money for Pink Agenda. And so, again, you know, talk about doing good and doing well. It helps us because it gets us in front of incredibly talented bartenders from around the country. We are able to sponsor those events and the great thing, again, you know, we always try to, we joke and say that we're a wine that, you know, went to college with the tequilas. And so, you know, <laughs> we, we are, we are constantly looking for new ways to get ourselves in front of folks, right? So we have a bunch of really great cocktail competitions uh, ourselves. We have a bunch of really great cocktail recipes now because of working with these amazingly talented bartenders. But once we sort of had this realization of, well, this is obviously such a natural fit for the brand and because everything we do is pink um you know we were able to very quickly and easily start working with the pink agenda and so now we're one of their biggest sponsors um we we host a number of different you know we've hosted galas with them we sponsor galas with them uh we give back a portion of our proceeds um during breast cancer awareness month to the organization and like I said, I mean, the, it really started with the World Central Kitchen thing. 
when we first launched and again in the the peak of our best season of selling of the year which is obviously august in the united states we gave a dollar of every single bottle that was sold back to the world central kitchen across the country and so not only was there uh, a, a large donation on our part from bottles sold because you know like i said people were sitting at home buying cases and cases of wine um but then we also hosted this live stream where we raised a ton of money uh and it was a concert you know that my dad put on on facebook and we we raised a ton of money and a, a ton of awareness for what world central kitchen was doing so our whole belief has always been that as we've grown this platform and as we've grown this social media presence and you know we've become the most followed rose on the internet i feel that it is our responsibility as a brand to not just take 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 you yeah. you got to give back and again not even for a marketing standpoint but like i said i just feel that growing up you know the way that my parents have really given back in their lives and have taught me to give back that that's just what we do um and so this summer like i said we're going to launch this partnership uh with the blue ocean organization and a portion of the the sales for a month are going to go back to cleaning plastic out of the ocean love it and jesse i want to uh just kind of finish with a bigger picture in in a more perspective thing. I've been blessed uh, in my career at Lee's and uh, of hanging out with your dad and actually having a conversation, not just fanboy over his amazing talent. So luckily I wasn't with my wife because I wouldn't have gotten a word in if I was. (laughs) Probably probably would have lost her anyway if uh, she actually met your dad. Uh, But more importantly, um, one thing in the conversation, ironically, when I spoke with your father was about the more that we give, the more we're given. And, and, and it's a distinction between giving back and because it uh, creates two things that I realized your dad didn't articulate it, but that he has in his genetic and energetic uh, inheritance that he had was that he had a, an awareness, a gratitude of everything that he was given. Of course. Uh, and, and because of his confidence in the more that he gave, the more he was given, and his confidence in the awareness of what he was given through gratitude that he felt very comfortable receiving, receiving awards, receiving money, all, all the blessings that that he, and, and I see so many people, including in the entertainment and sports industry, which, which is why they end up in a zero sum game of losing everything, is they won, they think it's the more you give, the more you receive. And, and so they're not aware of what they're given and then they feel guilty receiving, even if they're aware of what they're given, because they don't have confidence in their intention of giving back from someone who grew up in the energetic and genetic atmosphere. Um, you know, what is your perspective as it's been handed down to you of just number one, do you, do you have problems being aware of what you're given? Or two, did you ever have any problems, you know, because you're born into what they call entitlement. Uh, did you have difficulty receiving because you felt guilty or not worthy? Well, I, I think that I think that anybody anywhere, no matter their you know family background, can certainly struggle with the idea of imposter syndrome. Right? It's like, <laughs> who am I to get? I lost a hundred million dollars stuff? over it. So yes, right. I get it. <laughs> You know, and and I um, I think that I always equate it back to 
uh, playing sports, right? So I, I played a lot of sports growing up, and then I, I ended up playing. Um, I walked on to the Notre Dame's football team when I was in college. So you I was and Rudy, baby. Walking. You and Rudy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and so what I what I think um, what I think that that experience really taught me was that there are going to be days where you get your teeth kicked. You know what I mean? There are going to be days where you put in all the work and you wake up at, you know, the five in the morning and you're in the weight room and you're doing all of the things and you're still not the guy, you know, you go to Notre Dame. When I was there, we had the number one recruiting class my freshman year. I'm five, nine. I was 180 pounds. You know, I mean, I looked around and went, "Oh no!" You know, I I am I, the football. Yeah, I I still remember my my freshman year, the first week of summer school. I just graduated from high school three weeks before. They have you come in for summer school, and um, the first week, all the freshmen work out together, and then the second week, you go in with your, you know, so DBs work out with DBs, wide receivers work out with wide receivers. And I remember my freshman year, me and my my roommate, Mike Deeb, we were told it was, you know, like squatting. We're doing lower body, whatever. And so we're like, okay, let's eat a big breakfast. You know, we got to put on a show. Whatever. I think I ate eight eggs in a big omelet. I ate French toast. I like crushed all this food. We do this big workout and they go, all right, great. We're, uh, we're ending the day running sprints. Oh, and I was like. <laughs> Oh no. And as the whole freshman class is like getting the rah-rah speech from the coach at the end of the workout and the whole thing, I've got my head in a garbage can. I'm puking my guts out. <laughs> and so, you know, it's humbling. Right. And, and I think that, you know, to your point of, of my dad's upbringing and then, you know, him raising me and nothing is given right? Everything is earned. And so to your point earlier of giving and being able to receive, right, is, is I think that he's always been such a big proponent of the hard work pays off, right? Yeah. And if you put in the work and it doesn't go your way, which a lot of times it doesn't, right? I mean, in any business, we get a lot of no's. And especially when we first launched this, right? You're walking in there going, I'm 22 years old. And they're going, and what do you know about wine? And right. I, you know, I didn't know anything, you know? <laughs> and so, but I'd had those experiences of in my life of you got to show up every day. You got to work harder than the other guy. You got to get your head kicked in. You got to, you know, throw up some mornings at 530, you know? And, and, and those things allow you to, when the moment comes and, you know, my junior year after coming back from injury and, doing all of the things that were required, you know, I got to run down on kickoff, which is like you said, right? Rudy, you get one play. Yeah. I got to run down on kickoff, you know, for the university of Notre Dame. And I can still remember walking out in the field and going, okay, you know, now, now this is your shot. Right. And mm -hmm. so, uh, I I've always been a, a firm believer in the fact that you, you, you get your foot in the door. Right. And like you said, Hey, maybe they take the meeting because they're a big fan of Bon Jovi. Maybe they take the meeting because they're a big fan of Gerard Bertrand, who's our amazing winemaker, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe they take the meeting because we've gotten four 90 point ratings and I didn't crush a single grape. You know what I mean? But you still have to show up and put in the work. You still got to show up and know what you're talking about. 
you get your foot in the door, but now I got to wow you. Now I got to come back and bring friends so that we can share the wine with tons of people at your bar. A lot of brands don't do that no matter who they are. Right. But Mm -hmm. we are the guys, you know, my dad always jokes, we're like Avis. We just work harder, you know? And so (laughs) we're never afraid to show up and put in the hours. Like I said, I mean, I, I got on a, cross country flight. I haven't been home in three weeks, you know, uh, packed up my bag, got right back on a cross country flight. I've got lunch in Vegas today. I've got dinner in LA. I've got breakfast tomorrow in San Fran. You know what my, I mean? My kind of guy, man. My kind of guy. I got some introductions to keep you even more active in New York and New Jersey, closer <laughs> in your backyard and uh, both on the, uh, on the wine side, obviously, and uh, two on the charitable side of Awesome. But yeah, you forgot one reason people take meetings, uh, which is the reason I wanted to go to Notre Dame, which is you went to Notre Dame. That'll get you <laughs> in the door a lot of places, uh, which is awesome. Yes. Yes, it does. It, it, <laughs> uh, you are hard pressed to find a, a, a non-Notre Dame fan anywhere on the planet. When I was a junior in college, I went out to Tokyo for the first time and me and a, a teammate of mine, um, we went out and spent 10 days in Japan and we met the Tokyo club, the, the Notre Dame club of Tokyo. They took us out to dinner. You know, we were looking around. So good. They knew everything about us. And we were like, this is pretty crazy. Yeah. <laughs> how, about, how about Notre Dame has a sponsorship deal with the country of Ireland? Uh, right. Like it is so awesome. Any, anyway, uh, Jesse, we appreciate you. Blaine and I have many more shows. We love we love to promote and Absolutely. raise awareness to the social impact that you're creating by doing well and doing good. And uh, may you keep on giving to be given more and receive all of it. You deserve it. Uh, I'm a big fan of as an underachieving Division three football player uh, who gave my heart and soul to be below average. I, I, I understand what it must have been somewhat like to show up every day and give everything uh, and wait for that one being the bullet on on the kickoff team must have been a thrill. So yeah, uh, that is awesome. But please promise us you'll come back. We got a lot of other shows. And no doubt. when you're back in LA, give me a call. We have our office at SoFi Stadium. I'll let you cool. run the let you run the field there. Try <laughs> to feeling it, no matter if you're playing or not. So thank you, my friend. We'll see you. Thank soon. you, guys. Yeah, thanks, you guys. Thank you. We're gonna get you on the uh, full of business show here pretty soon. All right, I'm in. Okay, awesome. Thanks, guys. At Hampton Water, HamptonWaterWine.com. The incredible Jesse Bon Jovi. His dad must be proud. Thanks so much. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Cool. All right. Wayne, what's your takeaway for the day? I'm going to pick up on something Jesse said. You got to show up. You just got to show up. I mean, if you don't show up, why even think you're going to get anywhere? You got to show up. Even if your head's in the trash can, you got to show up. I love it. My, and mine is not only showing up, but how you show up. And it's something that your wife, uh, who's the founder, uh, speaking of our first guest, the, the founder of the Unstoppable Foundation, unstoppablefoundation.org, always says it's not just showing up, it's she's evaluating how people show up. And yep. uh, the takeaway that I have is all the guests that we had today, it's how they showed up. It's uh, you know, early in the West Coast, it's, you know, not something they have to do, uh, you know, as, you know, a a great investor and a professor at Columbia, and obviously Jesse's traveling the whole world. Sure, he was thinking I should be in the gym squatting uh, and eating a big breakfast afterwards, but instead, 
they're here like we are to take the time to pour in the community of people that want to help each other and know people that can help each other. And both of those people stand to show up, but not just show up, how they showed up is a great takeaway. And that's yeah. what I love about you. Well, hey, I love showing up. <laughs> showing up is fun. And, yeah. you know, it's interesting because, yeah, John Bon Jovi is obviously Jesse's dad. And you know, I say obviously, we didn't necessarily mark that out. But in the context of entitlement, you know, yeah, Jesse doesn't sh- show up entitled. It's kind of like there's work to be done here. And yeah, the title kid doesn't walk on at Notre Dame. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like, guys, I'm here. I'm going to put the work in. I'm going to put the work in. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, the door may have been open, but that's irrelevant. I, I got to do something once the door's open. That's so, awesome. you know, you, you're real, um, really, uh, what's the word I hear? Insistent on people paying attention to what they need and then asking for help. Okay. And yeah, the asking for help. So it's one thing to ask for help, but that's another thing to actually show up and do something after the ask is made. After the ask is made, do you actually leverage that? Do you actually do something with it? Or do you just say, well, I did the ask and yeah, now I'm going to sit back and wait for something to happen. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. No. Intention <laughs> means the things they do believe and feel after you make the ask. And I uh, do that every day and inspire others from what I've learned from you. Check it out. The compassionate capitalist himself, Blaine Bartlett, blainebartlett.com, one of the greatest mentors I have ever had. And I've turned on to so many people who uh, brag and thank me for the effort and the help that you've given them. So Blaine Bartlett, thank you so much. I will see you soon. Oh, you bet, buddy. We will be getting together and have a great Friday. You got a good one going up. Hey, folks, tune into his show on Friday. It, it you know, his his Friday morning show, awesome. It's amazing. You, you got to check in on a lot of practice over 24 years of doing free Friday training in our Friday show, which is uh, giving back to everybody. Thank you, Blaine. You bet, buddy. Awesome, bud. Thank you so much. All righty. That'll do it. Uh, we are in Atlanta today. So come and join us at 3 30. Uh, in Atlanta, we will be doing a lunch and learn with Andre Fluell and Hannibal Davies, many other people. Then we'll be in Nashville tomorrow. Uh, we are blessed to be around James Maslow, Michael Chandler, and a variety of other people. So uh, please reach out. If you want to know, we'll be in Temecula on Sunday with uh, the ranch with Dan Fleischman and Michael Chandler and Tim Kennedy and others at the Black Ops event. Just go ahead and email me, david at dmeltzer.com or join our text community, 949 949- 298-2905-949-298-2905. Remember, be more interested than interesting. Be kind to your future self and do good deeds. We'll see you later.